One of the best songs ever from the best group ever. Eric, you have done it again. Thank you so much for starting this show on such a high note. Well, well done. You you, you, you know what makes good radio, and of course you know what makes me happy. So thank <laughs> it, you very much. It felt much. appropriate also on the day that I think everyone in this building is within a 20-foot radius right now of this studio, yeah. and that's it. So there, there you go. We're on our eighth day this week. Yeah. Jim Shaw, your guest host on Afternoons Live here until... 5 p.m., I believe Derek tomorrow and Tyler back on Wednesday. Eric Johnson, the outstanding producer who you've just heard. I want to tell you what's on the big show today. Uh, Later on, we are going to talk to, she's actually en route back on a plane, so I'm hoping it'll work out, but I just checked. She should be able to make it. The first ever African-American and Muslim elected to the North Dakota legislature, Hamida Dakani. Uh, the North Dakota legislative session starts soon. We're going to talk about the Act Up Theater's big cabaret for a cause show tomorrow in Fargo. Mystery guest will be here. But first, I want to talk about the upcoming Minnesota legislature. Uh, and my guest, I first have to uh, intro him in saying that He's one of the best hires I ever made when I was news director at KVR-TV. My first hire in weather was a great hire in Kip Hines. He left, and I followed with another terrific person to work with, Rob Kupek. A pleasure to work with you at KVRR as a meteorologist. And welcome and congrats on now becoming a Minnesota State Senator. Well, thank you very much. Because I was very happy you hired me. It was a great move for me, too. It worked out very it, well. It, it was a great move. And and I, I really liked, I mean, besides the fact that you know your stuff on weather, but the things you would do, the the town of the week and the town of the year and the the, the copter that would fly around and tell us about all the, <laughs> the great events that were happening uh, throughout the weekend, uh, you just made it a fun, fun segment. Uh, so... Um, if ever, you know, you get tired of politics, I'm sure broadcasting can find a place for you again. Well, that's good to know. It's nice to have a, a fallback plan. Yeah. If not, of course, you know. I'm not there anymore, right. so I, <laughs> I can't I can't. I know a few you. people still. Yeah. <laughs> but let's, let me just talk about this for a second. So talk about the transition from going from a TV meteorologist to a, to a state senator, because it's it usually doesn't follow. I I. I I know people in in the media go into politics. Uh, I don't know if a weather person has ever done it, but is this an easy, natural transition, or is it uh, a few hurdles along the way to go from your friendly weatherman to your local state senator? There are a few hurdles. I, I think the one thing is, you know, it's I'm fairly comfortable talking, uh, so that serves me well. And I will also know I am not the only meteorologist who was on TV that is going to the Senate this year either. In Minnesota? In Minnesota, that really? is right. Yes, Nicole Mitchell from Woodbury, Minnesota. She was on KSTP-TV. Uh, she also was meteorologist for uh, Minnesota Public Radio, and she is also going to 
the state senate. So there are. Is this two her of us. first term? Too? This is her first run for anything as well. So we have a this lot of common. This is extraordinary. Yes. Have you connected and bonded with her? Oh yeah, we have the weather caucus already. So, <laughs> so yeah, she's, she'll take care of the eastern part of the state, and I'll I, take care of the western part. Of the I state. I love it. I love it. Uh, before we uh, talk about what you're going to do. Uh, there was some big news out of your district, which is uh, basically Clay and Becker counties. Paul Marquardt, who used to be one of the state representatives from District 4 uh, and had retired, and we assumed he was out of politics, and now he was named as Governor Waltz's and the state's new revenue commissioner, which was like out of the blue. We all thought he was done. What do you think about the selection of Paul Marquardt as the revenue commissioner? I do not think they could have picked a better person for that job. Uh, because his whole time in the House, that was the committee he was on. And with 20 years in the House, he really became kind of the Minnesota guru on on tax and finance. And and the fact that last year he put together a great compromise budget bill to deal with the budget surplus that did not clear that final hurdle. And I know for a fact that that bothered him that he it was almost like his signature legislation that he ever that done and it didn't yeah. get it didn't get done and to to have him now back in St. Paul working on the issue that he was the best at uh is is great for Minnesotans it's really great i think for the people of Clay and Becker County and all of western Minnesota i agree with you i agree with you excellent selection good for people around here so let's pivot to that um the state of Minnesota has a huge surplus. Huge. And and the ball was dropped by the legislature, not Paul's fault. But uh, my question is, what should we do with it? Do we give it to the people? I think some of it needs should come back. There's there is so the so it's it's right now on paper it's a seventeen point six billion dollars. That is the budget surplus. It's actually not that much because because of a rule, we can't take inflation into account on the backside of years going out. We want to change that. So really, that will probably knock it back to about a $16 billion surplus, of which a large chunk of it is one-time money. Some of it's federal money that we didn't spend. Uh, it's carryover from previous sessions. So a lot of it is one-time money. There is about probably $6 billion structurally that's there. Uh, and some of that, I think, should go back to the people. But there's there also there's a lot of things that have not gotten done in Minnesota uh, for a long time. And I think I think there's an appetite particular for one-time projects, things that aren't going to blow up the budget in out years, uh, but things that need to get done. All right. So let's break that down. Let's first talk about the money back to the people. I, I know there were some figures tossed around the last session. So... How much money for a given individual taxpayer or a given family uh, that is married couple should be given to them? And then we'll talk about the projects. Well, the one, a lot of the, the budget surplus uh, comes from sales tax revenue and from taxes on corporations. Uh, so that's where a lot of that uh, money comes from. I think the first thing that I would like to see done is to eliminate the state income tax on Social Security. I think that would be a, a big help. We're only we're one of only twelve states left that taxes uh, Social Security, and I think it's a it's a good way to keep a people from leaving Minnesota after they retire, and b I think it helps out a lot of people in retirement who are now on fixed incomes to eliminate that tax. 
I agree with that. But but there was talk at the last session of giving, and you would know the figure better than I would, uh, something like five hundred dollars to individual taxpayers, and a thousand, a thousand to two thousand dollars in one time. A thousand to two thousand. So is it is it a thousand for individuals and two thousand for married couples? I have I have heard different people say maybe two thousand for individuals, but I think I you know probably a thousand for individuals. I've heard okay. as much as two thousand for individuals. Are you for that? I am for giving. Yes, I think that 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 is a good way to do it because what happens is is and I know that there's some hesitancy, especially if if we are potentially going into an economic downturn that we don't want to go back to the days where we were running budget deficits. Nobody wants to go back to that. And the nice thing about that is this gives money back to taxpayers, but it doesn't structurally change right. what's going to and happen you into the future. Right, and this is huge because if you do this and everybody will love their checks, and, I, and I'm all for this idea, uh, you're still covering yourself so that you haven't created a hole that all of a sudden in, in two years – the revenue's down, and you got to pay your bills, and now you're short. Right. So this is this is good. This is good budgeting. Right. The uh, the uh, one other tax though that we also need to look at is property tax, uh, because that particularly in rural areas, the school district property taxes have gotten very high, particularly on agriculture land. And if the state will go back to picking up the tab for schools like they are supposed to. That will also put some relief on property tax, which also is not the most progressive form of taxation we have. All right. We'll talk about that and we'll talk about these projects, but we have to take a break. So we'll be back in a few minutes and then come back and talk more with State Senator Rob Kupek. We are back. Jim Shaw, your guest host here on Afternoons Live. Eric Johnson, your producer. Our guest, guy I used to work with in the TV news biz, a great television meteorologist, now on his way to becoming a great Minnesota state senator. You all know him, Rob Kupik of Moorhead. When last we left for the break, you were talking about you would like to see Property taxes go down. Is that for everybody, or just school districts, or what? Are, what are you thinking? Sure. I mean, I mean, if if the state funds schools in the proper manner, that will allow school districts to to keep property taxes down. That helps everybody out. There's also a, a farm to school credit, uh, where the state will reimburse some of those property taxes to school districts, specifically on farmland, because uh, the property tax on that farmland. Uh, has gotten exceedingly high, and that is from farmers. One of the biggest things I hear about is that's where they're kind of getting pinched a lot is on the property tax side of that. And people who are on a fixed income, there's a lot of people who who are older, they own their own houses. Ideally, as a society, I think the longer they stay in their own houses, the better the better we are. Does the state have the money to cut property taxes? Yes, they do. They have the money, and some of that was in that budget last year to fully fund education was in the budget when we only had a six uh, uh you know an eight billion dollar surplus so uh it's still there so i think we do and how do you uh get to the point where you've lowered property taxes and or or you're 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 working on a, a deal with the school districts how do you make sure that they don't take that money 
and use it and it doesn't affect the property taxes? How do you how do you guarantee that the schools are still properly funded and the property taxes are still reduced? Right. I mean, you could put something in the legislation. You could also, you know, uh, voters can hold their school districts accountable for that because they can say, well, look, you got that money, so there's no reason for you to be, uh, you know, raising our taxes. So there is the power of the voting booth to make sure that that keeps in check, too. All right. And I, I want to read a question from a, a texter here. And by the way, you can call us at 237-5948 or 1-800-880-5346. Or you can send us a text at 35270. Uh, we talked about this a little, but uh, here's the question. Jim and Rob, why not lower the state income tax? The state, yeah. Well, the state income tax right now, I mean, it is it is a fairly progressive tax on the state income tax. Uh, um, a lot of people who are on the lower end of earnings don't pay any Minnesota state income tax. So it is a fairly progressive tax system. I think we should look at all the whole tax system and see where we are at uh, in terms of, you know, overtaxing people. But I know for, in my mind, the social security tax is one place and the property tax is another place, particularly the property tax is not a progressive tax, at least an income tax is a progressive form of taxation and a property tax is not. So those are the two I think we start with. And then, and then even there are things, I think sometimes some of the fees that we pay in Minnesota, we pay an awful lot to register our car. Some of that is a tax too. And I don't necessarily know that that's the most progressive form of taxation. So I would like possibly to look in those areas first. I'm not saying that I'm closed to, uh, you know, income tax relief, but I think, you know, everything should be looked at on the table. When you're running a when you're running a surplus, you want to say, why am I running a surplus? But you don't want to make sure you're not going into a deficit when things aren't as good. Right. And I agree with you uh, on your perspective on the taxes. Income tax based on what you earn. Property taxes, they're just killers. I can speak for myself. Um, back when I was working at KVRR and had basically two and a half jobs going, I was making more money than I am now. Uh, now I'm making less, but my property tax is much higher and it really bites me in the butt. It's, it's right. tough to pay that property tax every year. I, I realize right. I'm in North Dakota, but it's, a, it's the same principle. Income tax is more fair because it's predicated on what I earn. And of course, sales tax is more fair because it's predicated on what I spend, but I have no say on the property tax. It goes up no matter what my financial situation Let's go back to a point you might you brought earlier about what to do with the surplus. So we know you want to uh, eliminate the state tax on Social Security. We know you want to do these one-time handouts, uh, give money back to the people. We know you want to lower property taxes. And what are these projects you want to pay for? Well, there's a we have not had a bonding bill now for several sessions in Minnesota. So there is a lot of pent-up demand for things that just need to get fixed. A lot of it is not glamorous and sexy stuff. It's things like HVAC systems and uh, other just kind of maintenance on on all the property that Minnesota owns. Uh, you know, locally, there is a laundry list of things uh, that I have gotten that need to get done locally uh, that cities and towns could use some help with. Can you think about anything at, at Minnesota State Moorhead? Or yeah, the well, Weld Hall towns? at Minnesota State University Moorhead uh, has been one of the things that's been talked about for being fixed up a long time. Moorhead is still trying to finish up all of its flood projects and get that done. Dilworth 
desperately, I mean desperately needs a new fire department. It is fire fire, fire station. station, fire yeah, new fire station. It is uh it's kind of it's it's actually a work hazard. When if you go and tour it, it needs it needs uh, some updating. Uh, Barnesville, I don't know if they've actually gotten any kind of bonding money in about 15 years, and they've got some projects in Barnesville. Barnesville's a growing town. They've got some things that they could use a little state help with. Detroit Lakes has several projects, too, that they could also use some money for. Uh, and traditionally, every other session, there's bonding. What? Why has that not happened in Minnesota? Did, did the legislature just say no? Just we just don't want to do it for some inexplicable reason. They yes, that is why it is. It is well, the Republicans controlled the Senate before, and there has not been a strong appetite on that side to uh, do some bonding. Unfortunately, that's when interest rates were very low. Interest rates are now very high. Uh, so maybe when you have a surplus, cash is a better way to go than taking out a loan when things are high. Gotcha. I want to talk to you about some of the uh, social issues you'll be dealing with, such as uh, abortion and recreational marijuana. But we need to take a break and go to the KFGO newsroom. So let's go get the latest with the news, and we'll talk to you in a few minutes. Two thirty-seven, right here on the mighty seven ninety KFGO. Jim Shaw, your guest host till five PM, right here on Afternoons Live. Our phone number is two three seven five nine four eight one eight hundred eight eight zero five three four six. You can text us at three five two seven zero. I am with producer extraordinaire Eric Johnson, and our guest is incoming Minnesota State Senator Rob Kupek of Moorhead guy I used to work with in the TV news biz. So, Rob, there's a lot of social issues that you'll be dealing with in the Minnesota legislative session starting next week. Let's talk abortion. Right now, abortion is legal in Minnesota because of a state Supreme Court decision. But another court could overrule that, as we saw with the U.S. Supreme Court. So, should abortion access be codified into state law in Minnesota? Yes. That's the short answer. Yes. Why? And, and it will. Why? 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 Because, because uh, it really is, it deals with the rights of women. It is a, it is a, women, a, a women's rights issue. And that will be. Not uh, everybody sees it that not way. Not everybody sees it that way. And, uh, and, uh, and I understand where they're coming from on that side of the issue. But. Uh, I don't think that the government has a right uh, to interfere with that. It's it's a reproductive freedom issue. And I believe you are going to see uh, the House and the Senate uh, probably move fairly quickly on that in the beginning of the year. Really interesting. Let's talk about another hot-button topic, recreational marijuana. How do you feel about trying to legalize that in Minnesota? I think it's coming. It's not. Um, it's not anything that I have been pushing for. Uh, it's coming. I will vote in favor of it. Um, if it comes up, as long as it's done right, I shouldn't say that. I think we need to make sure we do it right. Uh, we've got, you know, Colorado and some other states that have a 10-year track record on this. We can look to them, see what they did right, see what they did wrong, uh, make sure we don't mess up. 
like the edibles was a mistake the way that that got yeah, that really snuck in at the 11th hour yes, and it's not someone the, was yeah. asleep at the switch on that one and, yeah and, and 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 it was it was almost a sneak in but the problem is is that they didn't put any rules or regulations in that and then that dumped it on back on local jurisdictions and they don't know what to do with it they don't even have the proper testing in place so that they can you know, that you can go out and probably test it. So you'll see this this issue with like this the Northland vape store there in Moorhead. It it has to go to some extreme before uh the state board can get involved and and put any kind of regulations. And there's not really a lot of teeth in it. So we will we I have stressed that we need to go back and look at that and put in some kind of rules and regulations for not just for consumers and for the local cities and towns. All right. You said that recreational marijuana legalizing it is not a top priority for you, but you said you will vote yes. As long as what? it's done right, yes. Well, right. Why, when would you ever vote for a bill that's not done right? Oh, right. right. It's just not right. done right, right, but I'm voting. But I just All want right. to say that. Ass- you say, assuming, right. but right. that, but that of course, okay. is very subjective, too, right. what is done right. Right. But, but, all right, using your terminology, if it is done right, why are you in favor of legalizing recreational marijuana? I think it's I I think it's one of those things where it's it's out there it's out there a lot to begin with and I think to make it uh, so people can buy it in a legal way as opposed to going through illegal channels plus there is a lot of evidence uh, in terms of medical use and for people uh, in terms of even some people with some mental illness that it has helped them cope with these things and pain relief too that it has helped them and so I think the benefits probably outweighing the negatives. And people are going to be using it regardless. So people, right. people, my view is right. if, all right, you're, you might as well regulate it and tax it because you're not preventing it from being used right now. Right. So, so change the system and everybody, right. and it's just a win-win for the state. What we need to do, what we need to make sure of though, is that we are doing it so that it benefits Minnesota businesses when we go into this and so that it's not big out of state corporations that come in and take over the cannabis operations in Minnesota. Right. And just to be clear, cause I hear this, I heard this in North Dakota, even if it's legal, it doesn't mean that you can drive if you've been taking it. And it certainly doesn't mean that you can go to your job when you're high on marijuana. Your, right. your boss can say you're fired right. for coming in high. Right. Because there are jobs just like, I could not show up and go on TV and do the weather drunk. I could not go on and show up and do, and they, and employers can put those rules in and have those expectations. It's the same. It, it's exactly. real, we need to just, we need to treat it like we treat alcohol and have all of those, those same safeguards in, in place like that. I want to talk about another uh, issue. You don't hear too much about it, but I've, I've written a few of these and, and I've been moved by people who have, have suffered or who have gone through this. I'm talking about death with dignity, death with dignity. It's legal in about 10 other states. And this is a situation where if you have someone who was clearly terminally ill and has been diagnosed by physicians to be terminally ill, and it could be a death that's going to happen in two, three months, uh, and they also, the patient has to be mentally competent, then if that patient wants to, 
they can take a medication to end their life when they choose to, as opposed to having to wait till it gets worse and worse and you're in so much pain and everybody is so miserable. So what is your position on death with dignity in the state of Minnesota? I think it's, it's a similar, it's a similar issue where it's uh, autonomy for yourself and, and freedom to choose and make those decisions that you want to do over your body. So it really, in some ways it's the same thing as the reproductive rights issue. And, and I would be in favor of that because we, we just saw there was that case uh, in the news just a couple of weeks ago uh, with that couple um, that they, you know. You're talking about in Detroit Lakes. Yes. The murder-suicide. The murder-suicide. Yes. That they did not have that option to do that. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that, wouldn't this be a better way yes. to handle that, a, a case like that? You can, you can make, you can set all your affairs up. You can do it. And yes, as you have to be of sound mind, certainly to do that. But I, it's just, it's such a better way to have the control over the end of your life the way that you want to do it. It is. And and we didn't know till after the facts came out that both of these people were, were terminally ill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they made a pact that we're going to go together. Right. And so they had to shoot each other. And just, just terrible. Yeah. Uh, and we've heard this point, and I'm assuming you agree with it. When you think about it, we treat our cats and our dogs more humanely, you know, when, when we know that they are dying, we quote, end of quote, put them to sleep uh, rather than, than force them to suffer. Mm-hmm. But we don't allow human beings, or at least in 40 of the 50 states, to do what, what we can do for our cats and dogs. Right. And we can't, and we can't, and, and with a human being, though, you can have a rational conversation about it and know where they are. You can't have that conversation with your pet. So, so it is, you know, it's, it, it seems to make a lot more sense when you can have that rational thought out conversation, uh, than to just, to just leave it the way it is and either go through see these people who do these, these murder suicide packs or, or just to go through the, sometimes the excruciating pain of the end of your life. Well said. Uh, by the way, we have Rob for another 15 minutes, and if you want to call in with a question for Rob, uh, I suggest you do it. Our phone number is 237-5948 or 1-800-880-5346. You can text us at 35270, and uh, we have some texts that I uh, will be getting to as soon as I can, but actually... Uh, speak and and people respond we have a caller on the line larry thanks so much for calling in. Hey. you're on the air with jim shaw and rob kupek go ahead larry well i know like i know i gotta turn that radio off here and doc got it second there there we go i um i know uh, uh, rob kupek and I, I congratulate you on your victory over there and i wish we had more legislators like you in north dakota i agree with you on all of your positions Particularly, I like the idea on no taxation of Social Security. I'm on Social Security, and I I feel like I've been taxed twice. But my question is this. uh, As you get in the inside of the legislature as a new guy coming in, uh, what kind of lobby pressure have you felt already, or what do you expect, and how do you want to deal with that? Yeah, thanks, Larry. I will say... Um, lobby pressure, you know, I have heard 
uh, from a lot of different groups on a lot of different sides. And, and that is something that I, I really like. I really appreciate talking to people of different viewpoints. I personally, uh, I have don't feel like I've gotten a lot of pressure uh, from anybody, at least in my own party, uh, about that. And I think uh, with some of the conversations and some of the things that have come up in the caucus, I think there's a realization uh, by the leadership of, of the of the DFL that they know uh, how they got this majority in the Senate. And it's really, you could look at, there's about five of us and all of us are either in a far outside suburb or out in greater Minnesota that brought them that majority. And I think there's a realization of that. And I think there is a desire uh, to do better, to see better results in greater Minnesota than we have seen in the past few elections. So um, I, I hope they well, stick to that word. <laughs> yes. Uh, what what kind of transparency do they have over in Minnesota? In North Dakota, I believe, Jim, it's very hard to get what the legislators have received in lobbying funds and so forth. Uh, but I think in Minnesota it's different. I don't know. Uh, Rob, can you answer that in 10 seconds? Sure. Well, you know, we have, we have uh, state finance campaigns, so that means that uh, candidates have to abide by a certain set of rules and then also – Coming up the end of the year, there'll be a there is a lot more transparency on what gets spent. Obviously, there is still dark money that comes in for for packs and things, and you don't know who donated. But I think there is a little bit more transparency in Minnesota than North Dakota. Larry, thanks for calling in. We now need to take a weather break, and Mister, he does a little bit of everything. Eric Johnson, Eric, tell us what's happening with the weather. In this dirty old part of the city. play this on the piano as a kid because it was the only thing I could play. It was so simple, even I could do it. Uh, and that's about my limitations today. Jim Shaw, your guest host on Afternoons Live till 5 p.m. today. Our guest for the remaining eight minutes is State Senator Rob Kupik of Moorhead. Uh, Rob, I want to read uh, a text message that came in. We were talking about death with dignity, and here's a listener who agrees with you, he said, I said that exactly when I put my dear pet to sleep in 2007 versus watching my mom endure the pain of a cancer diagnosis and her painful three-month battle. So others know of which you speak. Uh, One more social issue, gay conversion therapy. Uh, And many people don't know what that is, but it's an attempt to turn gay people into straight people. Techniques include electric shocks, inducing vomiting, hypnosis, psychoanalytic efforts to reduce same-sex attraction. It doesn't work. It's dangerous. About 20 other states have such a ban. Where are you on banning gay conversion therapy? It's not really grounded in science, so I'm... There is no uh, science. Right, I'm fine with... Yeah, I think we should ban it. I, I, I don't think... Yeah, it's it doesn't it doesn't work. It's not it's not that's not how people work. That's not how people are wired. That's not how you become gay. It's not some right. like you catch it or you see something and go, I think I'm gonna do that. Right. That's not how it works. You do not choose to be gay, you do not right. choose not to be gay. Uh, you can't pray the gay away. You are what you are. And uh this is motivated by people who just cannot accept the fact that there are people who are gay living amongst mm-hmm. us 
you know, I don't know why we just can't leave them alone and let them live their lives and support them, whoever they are. All right. You said you're on also on higher ed. I'm also, yes, I'm on, I'm on the higher ed committee. I'm on the labor committee and I'm on health and human services besides agriculture. That's good. Cause we have a text that came in. This listener writes, I am very concerned about higher education. Tuition costs are very high as programs and entire departments are being cut. Does the state need to do more to underwrite the costs of higher ed and or look at closing campuses? Things have not been the same since the Minsky system was implemented. Yes, I think that we the state has never actually lived up to the amount of higher ed that it is supposed to cover. So it needs it needs to cover that. I am also uh, I am a little concerned of how many layers of administration there are now. Uh, some of that, I mean, there. so when the MinSQ system went in and all of those schools combined, there is some benefits to it. There's a benefit to having one person kind of oversee things, a benefit of buying things, the power of that, to have a curriculum that is kind of the same across all of the universities. Everybody gets a fair education. The thing we have seen, though, is that the central office and then even down to the campuses, they have continued to add layers of administration, despite the fact that they have declining enrollment and declining numbers of faculty, but we're adding more administrators. So something to me just does not quite add up there. So that is one thing I will ask some questions about. Good. And and we both speak from experience. I taught for 17 years at Minnesota State University, Moorhead. You taught for many years there. Your wife is still there. And it pains me to see what has happened uh, at Minnesota State University Moorhead between the time I started there when it was thriving and where it is today. Right. And some of that is obviously some of its demographics. Some of it is also the fact that the economy is very good. And so people go, I could go right out and go right to work and make more money and skip the uh, thing of, of taking on all this debt. Has tuition at those schools gone up too much? Those were always those first generation college students. This was the gateway to their education. Places like the U, not seeing that uh, enrollment decline. Matter of fact, they had the largest, was it last year or the year before, the largest freshman class they had had since the 1960s. So those, and this is the way it is across the country. A lot of these big flagship universities are not seeing that decline in enrollment. So are people saying, that degree is worth the money and I will go to that. But these other schools, are they pricing themselves out of that education marketplace? All right, last minute, last question. I got one minute for you to answer. So... How excited are you to be a state senator, senator and represent Northwest Minnesota? I am very excited. It's 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 all just kind of it, it, there is it is just not, you know, the election happened and then it, there was no downtime. I mean, it was like you were in some ways you were right into this job. You were electing leadership. You were meeting with all of these constituent groups that want to talk about things that are coming up before the legislature this session. So it has been just full throttle. I am Actually, I cannot wait to get to St. Paul and actually start doing some work. People well, elected us to do some work because last year not a lot got done. And there's an expectation that you're going to get something done. And and we want to. Well, I love the enthusiasm. I'm not surprised with the enthusiasm because I've worked with you and I know what you bring to the table. You don't go halfway in anything. You are always <laughs> all in. So, Rob Kupek, uh soon-to-be Minnesota State Senator from the 4th District. Congratulations. 
Best wishes for a good session. Thanks so much for coming in, and, and Happy New Year to it's you. It's always a pleasure. Same to you, Jim. Thank you. We'll be back to talk about the ACT UP Theater's Cabaret for a Cause right after this. The best thing soap and serve it to me. And his mother goes to 